Welcome to our weekly Power Lounge, your place to hear authentic conversations from those who have power to share. My name is Amy Vaughn, and I am the owner and Chief Empowerment Officer of Together Digital, a diverse and collaborative community of women who work in digital and choose to share their knowledge, power, and connections. Join the movement at www.togetherindigital.com. Let's get started. Today, we are here to discuss how to help your business thrive, not just during um, economic uncertainty, but across the board. And we're here today with Managing Director at MIQ, Samantha Zurich. She is at the advertising industry. She is an advertising industry veteran with 17 years of experience across many disciplines, including linear television, digital publisher direct, DSP, DMB, mobile SSP, television C, ACR, technology and data and analytics specialties. Currently, Sam is the managing director of MIQ, the global programmatic media partner overseeing nine offices in the Midwest and the West regions across all commercial and operational organizations. Sam, thanks for being here with us today and happy Friday. Thank you so much. And I'm so sorry. There are so many acronyms in that bio. (laughs) I'm sure that most people have no idea what any of those are. So um, apologies. No worries. And my, 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 my dyslexia was like kicking in hard with them. I was like, come on, Amy, you can, you can do this, but you know, it's Friday. I've got a little bit of Friday brain weather's beautiful. So nonetheless, excited to be here with you to have this conversation. You have sat on some panels with us before in the past for some of our past events. And, you know, I've just always been so impressed by every single woman I've come across at MIQ. So obviously you're no exception and it's great to have one of you all in the power lounge. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your career journey so far? Like, how did you get to this place and how did you just get so wicked smart with all of those acronyms around your bio? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going <laughs> to really, really try not to use an acronym within this. Um, so I, you know, I think that like philosophically, my journey has always been about building my own jetpack. It's not about you know, doing the same job twice ever. I'm never going to do the same job twice. I'm never going to jump ship and go to a competitor because, you know, kind of loses credibility and already done in some space. And so really I think that like my curiosity has driven every single step that I've taken and it's never been a step in the exact same direction. It's kind of been like a little bit of a stair step learn something new, master it, go to the next one, learn something new, master it, go to the next one. And so, you know, I, I started out my career in linear television. So working for TBS, TNT and, um, liked it, but there's not much you can do beyond like spots and dots and things like that on television. So I just kind of got bored pretty quickly, went over to the digital side of things, loved it. Um, and then realized that there was just so much technology behind advertising. And that was Mm -hmm. the time that demand side platforms slash DSPs were launching. And it was like this whole new world of like, how do you target individuals? How do you use technology to reach consumers? And I went in head first. And since then, it's kind of just been staying up with like what those next trends are. And, um, the, you know, I, again, like I moved to an ACR a, a TV um, data set 
company because I didn't, I, I knew TV, but I didn't know TV data set from mm-hmm. um, like an automated content recognition, ACR. You guys are learning stuff. This is great. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I didn't know any of that stuff. And so being able to kind of take those steps, be vulnerable, master it, have curiosity, have taken me every step I've gone. So I've actually been at MIQ going on six years at this point. And I think that that was like the culmination of bringing a lot of stuff together, but in a really tech forward way. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, still being able to master things one step at a time because the industry is moving along. So I don't even feel like I'm missing out on anything because being at the forefront of that has allowed me to continue that innovation lens and growing my jetpack here at MIQ. I love that analogy of building your own jetpack. That's amazing. That's such a good analogy and way to remember that um, you've got the opportunity to fuel it. I think a lot of us sit around and kind of wait for others to fill that jetpack with fuel, but really it's your desire to have that continuous learning and growth. And again, not even being linear in your growth path, but just, you know, looking to what skills do you, are you attuned to? What skills are you naturally good at and following those? Cause in a lot of ways, I know we're talking about, you know, not economy proofing your business, but helping it survive during uncertainty. Like, obviously there's a lot of us out there right now that are looking for work and, or looking to make a pivot and feel a lot of uncertainty. So in a lot of ways, this is kind of economy proofing your career your mindset and the way that you've approached it. So wonderful first answer out of the gate again, no surprise. All of you ladies at MIQ are always so brilliant. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Of course, of course. So as managing director, what are some of the leadership qualities and strategies that you think are essential for doing business through these kind of more difficult and uncertain economic situations to help achieve some sustainable or even attainable growth? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I would say that uh, one of the things that has been harder to kind of grasp and learn and be successful during, I mean, especially called the last four years specifically, um, is that we used to have predictability. We used to be able to look at like trend lines and really yeah. understand what things were going to, you know, what we're going to have. We were looking at year over year growth. We were looking at things like that. We can't do that anymore. Um, everything is, is, pretty arbitrary and relative to real-time market conditions. So I would say that the number one thing is like setting realistic goals, but those goals cannot be based on year-over-year growth. They can't be based on quarter-over-quarter growth even at this point Mm -hmm. in time. They have to be determined based on what the actual market potential is in real-time today. And Mm -hmm. I, I think that that's been a tougher thing to get everybody to wrap their head around. You know, yep. we used to go from forecasting. Uh, I remember, call it 10 years ago, we would forecast mm-hmm. on a yearly basis. What are we going to do for the year? We'd set yep. it, forget it, and we'd shoot for those goals. At yep. this point in time, I reforecast our business every two weeks. Every two yeah. weeks, I have to reforecast our business. Some days, some months it's up, some months it's down, but it is relative to what is going on in the market right now. It's not an arbitrary want. It mm-hmm. is what is going on in the market right now and how can we capitalize on the overall potential of what's there in real time. So, so I would say that's a big one. Um, Mm -hmm. Another thing that I would say is um, transparency. Mm -hmm. So transparency, you know, I think that sometimes when we, again, we're setting arbitrary goals or non-arbitrary goals, if there's a rhyme, there should be a rhyme to the reason, no matter what. But I think that a lot of times leaders just kind of set those goals and expect for everybody Mm -hmm. to be along for the ride. And they don't tell them Mm -hmm. the why. Why are we doing this? Why do we need to do this? What does this mean for our long-term growth and health? And so I think that transparency 
if mm -hmm. anybody is on this call that reports into me, I'm sure that, you know, transparency is probably my number one uh, most used <laughs> leadership mm -hmm. skill. Um, decisiveness and speed are two other ones that I would say, like, sometimes we sit too much, sit mm -hmm. too long, and we never make those decisions quick enough. Um, yeah. And then we kind of miss the boat on those. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, those are the ones that come to mind. Yeah. Those are yeah. great. I mean, analysis paralysis is absolutely re real. And I think in a time when we are all very much feeling a sense of uncertainty and fear, it's easy to kind of withdraw from those kind of that desire to be more active or more kind of like, let's make this happen faster. Um, yeah. And I do agree. I mean, I love that, that idea of real goals in real time, because you're right. I mean, as a business owner myself, I, it's so hard. It's almost heartbreaking to look at year over year data because it's just, it's not what it was before the pandemic. Um, mm. And now with the economy, the way that it is, you really have to be able to meet your team, your customers, everything kind of where they are in real time. So that's fantastic advice yeah, for sure. I would say even from the decisiveness standpoint, you know, I mm -hmm. think that we've had to employ a little bit more of a gut feeling um, just yeah. to move quicker. And uh -huh. so, whereas like before we would have all the data in the world, we'd have everything that we knew we're going to, you know, we'd have these trend lines that we would go towards. Now it's like, do you have 70% of the equation? And if so, yeah. make a decision, move. like make a decision and move. And mm -hmm. I think that that's one of those things that um, people don't understand is like that decision tree is not mm -hmm. a right or wrong answer. It's mm -hmm. a better and best answer. And those yeah are relative to the information that you have at the time. Mm -hmm. And once you make that decision, it's not a forever decision. I mean, most mm -hmm. of our decisions are not. You can mm -hmm. change course, but you have to make a decision. The only wrong choice is standing still. Yes, 100% agree with that. I, yeah, as a business right now, especially standing still, it's, it is easy to think like, we'll just coast, we'll wait it out. Things will go back to normal. And I'm using my air quotes for those of you who are just listening. Um, we all hopefully have realized at this point, there's really no such thing. And I think the last thing I, I love that you spoke to transparency, because again, if you're looking at creating real goals in real time and, you know, taking action faster and sooner, like you, if you're not being transparent, is anybody going to move with you? Probably not. So that I think so that's true. a fantastic part of the equation is that transparency, it's not just that people want it because they want to know every little thing. It's because they really do need it because things do feel unclear and uncertain. And without that transparency, they're just going to plant their feet and they're not going to move and mm -hmm. you need them to move. So I love it. Fantastic yeah. answer. Could you share some other practical tips on how businesses can navigate and maintain strong relationships with their vendors during these times? Because obviously vendors, when things get kind of tough, that that's, you know, that's usually kind of an area in which we start to look at and make changes. Yeah. Uh, I hate to be repetitive, but transparency, mm, <laughs> um, yeah. honestly, I mean, I think that like, that's where we've seen the most success is mm -hmm. when our clients are transparent with us and we're what's going on, where the needs are and what they need help with. Mm -hmm. We're there to get fill whatever they need. And so I think that whenever you have businesses that are either in denial about, you know, missing capabilities or just so strong headed and we have to do this ourselves, and we're not going to ask for help. I mean, this is like speaking to the choir as a mom. I like, I feel like <laughs> that's like the one thing I never do is ask for help. And uh -huh. 
when I ask for help, it's so much easier. It's so Mm -hmm. much easier. And so, you know, I think that if we just had absolute transparency with our partners Mm -hmm. And they were vulnerable. You know, we've had like advertising agencies specifically, they've really invested in their own in-house technologies and, you know, they want those to be the best in market. Um, Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. And sometimes they get under-resourced. Sometimes they get underfunded. There are gaps, no doubt about it. If they're, if they're able to transparently and vulnerably give that information about where their gaps are. Yep. You know, we come in and we're like that mortar that goes within the bricks. They have the bricks mm-hmm. we're the mortar. We're the thing that makes yeah. it stronger and help them to kind of really succeed. But if we don't know where they need mortar, we don't know where that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder for us to pinpoint exactly how to help. So I, I do think that, especially during this time, you know, I call it again, four years ago, everyone had like a game face on. We have the best technology in the world. We have no yeah. gaps. We have no downfalls whatsoever. Fast forward to now, they're like, we need help. Like, we need analytics. We need data scientists. We need traders. We need resource in general. Um, We need help with business pitches, like everything. And everyone has a bespoke need. And so um, it's been nice to be able to to kind of help. But but again, those those best partners have been the transparent ones. That's great. Um, you mentioned resources. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit then in our questions. How do you recommend businesses approach the decision-making process when it comes to allocating resources and determining where their focus should be in times like these? Because obviously you've got your external vendors and then you've got your folks inside. What about them? Yeah. So the biggest thing that they can do is like just assess your own situation. I think that that is like one of those things where you like you read the trades and you see all these layoffs and you're like, should I be laying yeah. off? And it's like, mm-hmm. you can't follow what everyone else is doing because everyone has a different path. Everyone's yeah. situation is incredibly different. You know, it's different. It could be different than what's on the news. It could be different from like what your competitors are doing. And, and I do think that taking a conservative but objective look at your yeah. business and get a baseline of how that affects you mm-hmm. is the first step. You have to. Um you know, really understanding your own financial position. What does cash flow look like? Like, what does yeah. it need to look like? All of those things. Um, really assessing um, some of the functions or, or, or uh, different areas within the business that are like mission critical. Your mission mm-hmm. critical could be very different than someone else's mission critical, Absolutely. right? So understanding what is going to help you guys succeed mm-hmm. versus like your competitor may, you know, may not have the same vulnerabilities or, or differences there. Um, I absolutely love like doing different scenario plays. So yeah. uh, I, I like to play those out of like, if this happens, what would happen? Um, uh-huh. You know, I, I think my boss actually said it best. And this was like more about therapy, but still relative <laughs> and, and yeah. um, works. But, you know, have like a worry journal. of like, what is the worst thing that could happen based on mm-hmm. these specific decisions that I make? And then own it. So you have a game plan if it goes wrong. If it mm-hmm. goes the absolute sideways, you know, and you're expecting it already and you have a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I, I also say like efficiencies are always something that I look at. So mm-hmm. uh, could we, you know, employ technology to get any additional, you know, efficiencies? Right. Um, anything in that vein would would be a resource that I would bring in to say like, is there any way that we can cut costs and right. not make it human-based? Um, again, for, for anybody who has ever been on my team, I think that 
they'll say I'm probably people first to a fault. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's I will look at any line item that I can cut before I cut a person. That's yeah. just what I do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And it also makes me think of the thing I'm always saying, which is plan for the worst, hope for the best. You know, because again, mm-hmm. you never kind of know what's going to happen. But if you kind of run through those scenarios, one, they just stop sitting in your head and like spinning constantly. And then you do have some game of uh, plan of action. And if you are providing transparency along the way, then if the worst comes to bear, like the team knows you've got a plan. Um, right. And they have an understanding of if that plan comes to fruition, what that might even mean, or when it does, they're like, oh, well, yeah, this makes total sense. Like, why would we argue with this? We understand. Um, mm-hmm. It's never a great place to be, obviously, when you're managing and running a business or PL and things like that. And numbers come to speak truth that you don't want to have to deal with. But at the end of the day, I think like you were saying, what kind of doing a more consistent forecasting, forecasting in uncertain times, plus having those game plans, if things should continue to just go to shit, you know, you've got, you've got some chance to kind of at least show up composed and you're not totally blindsided, um, which is, I think even harder to do is, you know, as a leader, when you are blindsided by things and you don't feel like you have a plan and you don't feel like you have an answer and not that you have to have an answer as a leader, but that can be a very precarious situation to be put in. And you're taking a volatile situation and making it more volatile by not being prepared. So I think all of that is a lot of um, great advice, of course. Well, so when it comes to strategic decisions, how important is it for a business to embrace a data driven approach and leverage insights to drive growth when things are a bit rocky as they are now? Oh, that's a, another great question. You're, you have all the good questions. Um, these, <laughs> yeah, these are, they're not easy answers to be quite honest. Right. I mean, I feel like these are things that are um, on a spectrum completely and yeah. uh, th- there's different ways that we can look at this. So I-, I would say in general, the data-driven approach that I would look at is it all comes down to accountability for me. Um, and, and when you said, you know, the data shows you things that are sometimes hard truths, like the data doesn't lie. And that is what yeah. it is. Like, mm-hmm. it's all about the accountability. Um, you know, I, and I think that sometimes whenever times are not so tough, we have the ability to like lean into risk a little bit more yeah. without feeling like the world's like on our shoulders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when when things are not so great, like, every single dollar has to drive results. Like there's no, Uh there is no, you know, in between there. Um, And then I think that the other just thing that I would say is that like, what has always worked from a data-driven standpoint may not work when things change. You know, the insights of yesterday are not going to be like the insights of tomorrow. Like you may be going down that path that you think is right because it's always worked in the past that mm-hmm. you're not kind of looking at that guide in front of you to take you where you need to be. And that guide is your data that you're, that guide mm-hmm. is your, like, that's your insights. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I'm going to try to strangely put this into terms. I'm new to Colorado. Um, and I keep thinking about like hiking, like I love hiking oh, and yeah. you know, I, I'm still finding my way out there and I'm definitely on the trail. Like you can't, you're not going to find me off the trail at this point, which is totally fine. But it's like, I know how to get to my certain summits. I know how to get to my certain points. And so every single time that I'm going, I'm following the same trail, same path. You got climate change, you got wildfires, you've got flooding, you have all the stuff that comes in. All Mm -hmm. of those things can change your path. 
And if you're not looking at those from a data standpoint, you're going to be hiking through the woods, yeah. crossing new rivers, going through burnt fields, whenever there could be another path to the summit that you just are missing. Right. Yeah. And so I do think that like paying attention to those as signals and helping them guide you on your way mm-hmm. is the only way to get through this. That's why data and insights are so incredibly important to like mm-hmm. your decision-making. You have to have those. They're, they may not give you the answer, but they're sure, certainly going to be your guide to getting mm-hmm. to the right answer or getting to the spot you want to be in. Yeah. Yeah. Analogies and hiking. You just made me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, because I- my Colorado people are going to be so proud. So proud. Right? Uh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love hiking as well. I the, the one time I've been out to Denver, I made sure that we did a hike after our summit. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the analogy is great because it also points out the fact that sometimes it's so easy for us to say, this is the path. This is the way it's always been. This is how you get there. And even when we're looking at data and insights, sometimes it's with, through the lens of confirmation bias, right? We're just looking to sh- be shown that we're already right. So the confirmation is there's a path in front of me. So clearly this must be the right way to go. But if you're not looking at other data and metrics around you, you might be missing the fact that there's a massive storm coming. There's a wildfire burning, things like that. Um so I think for me, it's been really interesting through the pandemic is, you know, changing my mindset of the, the metrics that matter in my business to know that we're growing and growing kind of in the right direction, because it's a lot different now than it was pre-COVID, at least for us. Mm-hmm. Do you get that sense as well? And how do you all kind of come to those certain KPIs? Because again, we love data. We're very data-centric people by nature being in digital, but sometimes too much data is too much. Do you ever feel that way? Absolutely. Um, it's, it can be overwhelming, you know, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, I do think that like for me though, looking at market potential has been market potential in real time yeah. has yeah. been a blessing and a curse because mm-hmm. I think that you can showcase and set expectations based on what's available up, but guess what? Down and managing a team to that is sometimes incredibly hard because sometimes you'll say, Hey, market's bearing more than what we thought. Your goal just went up. And they're like, but wait, I just did what you told me to do. Um, (laughs) Flip side of that is like market's down and we don't expect as much from you. Um, Mm -hmm. We've been very fortunate in MQ specifically to be on that upside, uh, which we were not expecting. I have to be honest. Um, When COVID happened and and even going into this latest uh, recession, We have been very conservative of, we understand the tech field. We see the layoffs in the news. We see other financials all the time. Mm -hmm. And we have been incredibly fortunate. And I think that, again, it comes to the agility. It comes to setting the right expectations. Mm -hmm. It comes to um, conservative growth, not exponential growth at this point. You know, Mm -hmm. and and, um, it's been great to see the company be so responsive, not reactive, but responsive to the uh-huh. markets um, and anticipating the markets and having plans that help us to get there and navigate through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of those have felt really comforting at the company yeah. to be, to be very frank. Mm-hmm. Well, because you're letting the data lead the way, but then it's like, you're also letting that ebb and flow happen, which I think is another post pandemic thing that companies need to become more aware of is that people don't want to be in a company that's growth growth at all costs which means massive burnout, people laid off, people hired back in, like constant turnover, 
overly ambitious goals that don't that aren't reflective of the market or the industry currently just because they want to be the best to do the best it's like that's not what's going to happen i think what was so small but significant that you said there was you know when the market's hot we get out there we raise the goals when it cools off we we cool off and we take a moment and we step back so giving mm-hmm. your people time to kind of react and respond in that way will help them come back that much stronger versus being you know peddled to the metal all the time um, I think there's a lot of people who, you know, you talk about the quiet quitting and a lot of people just leaving their jobs outside of people getting laid off um, or trying to find a new job. It has a lot to do with that previous COVID mindset, in my opinion, yeah. um, that had a lot to do with this growth at any cost and, you know, be damned work-life balance. You know, we, right, we all totally. had it for, didn't love it, but we had it all to the nth degree and during shutdown. And we actually learned to appreciate slowing down. And I just don't, I think, we need to work that into, you know, how we guide our teams, how we look and review the data to know when and where and how we can take a moment to just yeah. pause because yeah. we need it. <laughs> and I would also say too, like one of the best parts about like the managing directing role is uh-huh. that I have insight and leverage over every function. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think that that that's one of those things that I would also, I guess, give as a, as a tip is Uh get somebody who can pull different levers. Like your sales team is not the only person who can bring in revenue to your company. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that the sales team always like gets that brunt of like sales are down, get out, go sell. Right. So with us, we don't do that. Um, We all take different proportions of responsibility at different times, depending on what's going on in the market. Mm -hmm. So if the market's hot and the salespeople can be out and selling, great. They're going to be holding the larger piece of the responsibility of of bringing in revenue. If the market has slowed down a little bit, then it's about taking market share, right? So Mm -hmm. there's still the same amount of money in the marketplace, but you know, they're not getting any more. How can we get our internal client services team to over service those accounts and steal share, like share in the market. If, if neither of those two things are working, we also have our trading practice and which we can help them to find more efficiencies to get a larger profit margin out of the back mm-hmm. end. And so I can pull different levers at different times, mm-hmm. depending on what I have and what's going on in the market. I don't just have like a one trick pony, like sales yeah. are down, get out there, sales team. You know, <laughs> you right. really have to, you have to look at it as a, as a real machine, something that mm-hmm. you can pull different strings at different times, depending on what you have and what's going on in the market. Mm -hmm. I love it. That's great. That's wonderful. I think just sounds like a great place and person to work for when you've got (laughs) that kind of a mindset. Um, So that's like one example of a pitfall. What are some other common pitfalls or mistakes that businesses should avoid making when navigating these (sighs) challenging times? Yeah, honestly, I feel like the only thing that comes to my, like the forefront of my mind right now is Twitter. <laughs> like Twitter <laughs> like Twitter is best case example. The oh, best yeah. case example. <laughs> I mean, cut it, like totally like you cut costs without looking at implications. You mm-hmm. just make these like rash decisions that you have no idea what the long-term and short-term effects are, but it sounds mm-hmm. good in the moment. So you just do it. You know, I, I don't know. Twitter just comes to mind. Um, yeah. But I, I think that that, that comes to the overreacting you know, mm-hmm. um, also not bouncing back if you make the wrong decision, like yeah. there are ways that you can, you can make it the wrong decision. That is totally fine. Yeah. I said that earlier, you can make a wrong decision, but what you can't do is like make no decision. Like indecision is a bad, bad choice. So yep. 
um, overreacting, but then kind of turning around and quickly fixing it um, would be something. Um, another thing that I would say is um, there's red flags everywhere, you know, and some people like to like, just like put their head under a pillow and like be like, uh-huh. I don't, don't, don't want to look at it. Um, and so really kind of, you don't have to react to the red flags, but you have to know that they're there. You have to notice them and see what, you know, what's going on. Um, cutting crucial budgets. So whenever I think about this, like, man, innovation is one thing that you don't want to let up on during times like this, because Mm -hmm. these are the times whenever you have to distinctly put yourself in the market. And if you're pausing on innovation, someone else can outpace you in the market, which is not great. Mm -hmm. Um, Marketing T&E, you still have to see clients, you still have to market, people still need to know who you are. So those are areas that um, seem like the first to be cut off of a PL. Yeah. Yep. However, I think that they're actually crucial for keeping on. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, um, I, I have seen that kind of be a pitfall during these times mm-hmm. for sure. Those are fantastic points. Um, and I agree with you as much as it sucks, failure is a part of doing business. You yeah, know, absolutely. if you're not trying yeah. to, no business ever made it anywhere by not failing, you know, it's mm-hmm. just, that's how you figure things out. Maybe unless your Twitter, who knows, like we're waiting yeah. to see how that saga ends. Um, and then I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, innovation is, is, you know, when times are tough, that is the time to innovate. Like the, if you think about a lot of the breakout brands and the industry across industries and time, um, when things got really hard, when they were close to falling and failing hard to the point of like closing innovation is often the thing that saved them. And so it is really mind boggling to me when companies look at things like, you know, innovation to cut from a PNL or even marketing. I feel like that's another one, another area marketing always seems to get cut. Mm-hmm. I've actually had a few members recently who their companies, they're a one person marketing show and they literally do all the marketing for the company and then they let them go. And I'm like, well, how do you expect to gain new clients or right. sell more product if you're not marketing or if you're not innovating to reach new markets? Um, I, it yes. just breaks and my brain. <laughs> the other thing that really I struggle with so much whenever those marketing budgets get cut mm-hmm. is that short term, they look amazing, right? Yeah. We cut all this money. We're still getting clients. Like thing, we made the right choice. It's valid. It's in. It's validating the wrong behaviors because it is a short-term fix that does not result in a long-term gain. So what happens is now you have lag time of mm-hmm. the marketing that you did have in market that is bringing in the bottom of your funnel of people that you had. You've got yeah. nobody else that's filling the top of the funnel, and call it three to six months down the road, you have no new clients and you have to start over. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that marketing as a short-term fix is so painful as a long-term impact. And I don't understand how people have not like figured that out. Like (laughs) it's blows my mind. It's like marketing 101. Yeah. I think it's marketing 101, but it's the non people who are not in marketing or don't understand the function of marketing and the value that it brings um, to see it until, you know, three, six months down the line. And then all of a sudden, whoops, where's all of our revenue? Like all of a sudden yeah. our bottom line's being impacted. Well, it has to be something else. It can't be marketing because we already cut that. <laughs> right. Right. I, it just, I don't understand it either. It does seem so obvious, but then we're in that space of that industry, but I appreciate you commenting on it. 
Um, because like I said, a number of our members and together digital, the community itself are in that space. And, you know, outside of the tech jobs, the marketing jobs have also been pretty heavily impacted thanks to the current economy. Could you provide us some real life examples of businesses that have not only survived, but thrived during these sorts of times? And what strategies and initiatives do you believe have kind of helped them to succeed? I was thinking of a few as I was just talking, but I was like, I want to get to the question next. And then maybe (laughs) I'll share some. Yeah. You know, honestly, I feel like like any company that has been notable and like one of these big giants, if you will, have Mm -hmm. happened in times of disruption. Times of disruption breed innovation. I think about Mm -hmm. things like modern day, you're looking at the Ubers and Airbnbs and Slack even. Um, and, And even prior to this, looking at the big giants like a Microsoft and Apple. I mean, Apple was almost bankrupt and now they're like the biggest company in the world. Like Google, mm-hmm. like literally every single one of these giants, I feel like giants are born out of disruption. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can look at any of the ones that are here today and, and all of those kind of follow that same kind of footprint. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that I will say is, you know, I haven't, I haven't been at a big company like that during those times of, of, you know, disruption, but I have been at a lot of startups during Mm -hmm. these times of disruption. And I think that like the approach that I've seen that's really worked in kind of getting into that next step or like kind of surviving and thriving um, post is like agility. Again, we talked about this a lot today, but Mm-hmm. having the ability to switch course based on market conditions and not be paralyzed is really, really important. If you need mm-hmm. to switch course, you have to do it in real time. And again, yep. you can switch back too. There's, it's not like you're switching forever, but you, you kind of have to be part of the river that's flowing and go in the directions where the current is, um, you know, and find your way downstream. Um, I'm using so many good analogies that are so outdoorsy. I'm super proud right? of myself. I'm um, so proud of you too. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that the other thing would be like, just like human emphasis. Like mm-hmm. to me, I think people are your number one and best asset people and product. Yeah. If you don't have those two things, you're not, you're, you're probably not a successful company or, or long have long-term success, but you know, the people in general, like those are your most valuable assets. So when you think about the people that you have, it's really important to understand how to deploy them in the right way for the real-time needs of the company. You may have Mm -hmm. to shift somebody's role. You may have to shift a department's function. I mean, again, you kind of think about like, what was it? Like Ford was like making face masks and stuff during COVID. I mean, like Uh how, like that's innovation. That is agility. That's the human emphasis. That's keeping jobs. That's pushing the need towards what the company needs to to be successful. Um, I do think you need to keep the business and the people in mind though. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't just kind of keep people to keep people. Um, If you have a business need to utilize them in finding efficiencies Mm -hmm. elsewhere is, is, is good too. Uh, conven- we talked about innovation, but like continuing to invest in product is incredibly important. You can't pull mm-hmm. that out. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I just think that, oh, and clear communication, uh, like is yeah. another one, like having that transparency, having clear communication, having the ability to kind of give people a roadmap of what to mm-hmm. expect is amazing. So yeah. I can give you a good example of that at MIQ. So we did this thing called Project Unity um, mm-hmm. post, uh, well, when COVID just essentially happened. 
we saw all these other companies essentially shutting their doors, laying off people, like just absolute mayhem. And mm-hmm. we said, we don't want to lose 1% at this company, like, especially at this time, mm-hmm. like we couldn't get another job. There was just no way. So yeah. instead we all decided collectively to take a 15% pay cut and we That's did amazing. the pay cut until we didn't have to anymore to make sure that yeah. not one person got let go it. during that time. And we thought we were going to have to do it for like six months to a year. Yeah. We weren't really sure. Three uh-huh. months later, we were thriving and yeah. everyone got full payback. Um, and it was just one of those things where it was such an innovative thing to make sure that we as a business survived, but also Mm -hmm. that the people survived, that there was nobody that was put in a really bad situation during something Mm -hmm. that none of us have ever experienced. Yep. That's beautiful. I love that. I mean, that's always the thing that comes to mind for me first. It's like, why aren't we looking at executive salary? Yeah. I hate to say it, but 15% for a short period of time versus somebody losing a hundred percent of their salary, who is probably making less, like mm-hmm. it's just, to me, it's like, I don't know why it's, I guess, again, because I'm a very, I'm a mission-based business, small business owner. So, you know, I have to play that part in that role quite often. Um, yeah. And I guess in organizations, there's a different uh, mindset maybe as to who they are and what they do. But um, I love that. That's so beautiful. And I wish... I wish more businesses would do that because how many, how many people you were able to save from that. And again, you were able to get back up and running when things started to return to normal, because you still had that holistic team. And also that breeds loyalty. I mean, so many people complain about this quiet quitting and resentful workers who don't want to Mm -hmm. show up and do the work. It's not true. Like they do want to, it's just, they want to know that you're going to meet them halfway that when things get really hard, you're going to take some of the brunt of what's hard and it's not just them. That's going to kind of come down to, um, and I love this idea of, you know, sharing that roadmap. I think it is so important as you're making sudden changes in the midst of change itself or uncertainty, you know, helping paint a picture for people. It's so necessary to have that psychological safety so that they can focus on the jobs at hand and do what they do best versus stressing and worrying about, what's to come and how things are going to work. Cause that is the role that leadership plays. They continue to, you know, co- consistently look at that map, make the revisions, but then you're getting the buy-in and when you're getting the buy-in from them, it makes it so much easier to kind of push ahead and move forward. Um, something that, else you said earlier too, and that reminded me of this idea too, of, you know, um, love the problem, not the product that mm-hmm. you provide always stay in love with the problem because if you're focused on and in love with the problem that you're trying to solve, you're always going to be very like consumer centric. You're going to be focused on your customers versus, Oh, look, we have this amazing product that does X, Y, and Z. And then the person over here is going, I don't need any of that. I don't want any of that, you know? So falling Mm -hmm. in love with the problem versus the product, I thought was a great piece of advice and something you kind of started to get at there as well. Yeah. And I will tell you that psychological safety Mm -hmm. was everything about project unity. I mean, people can take a 15% pay cut for a short period of time and Mm -hmm. generally be fine. You know, nobody was going out to dinner. So like that was my dinner budget. It was gone. Like totally fine. (laughs) Um, You know, but in, in it went from the top of the company down to the bottom of the company. It was every single person in it together unity. And Mm -hmm. what it did was again, like you said, it was like, no one was thinking, do I not have a job tomorrow? Mm-hmm. No one was thinking that because we, we laid it out and we said, not one person will lose their job, no matter what, no matter what we've done this so that no one loses their job. And so people were able to focus on the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That, that buy-in and that sense of psychological safety and even sort of, you know, 
when you make those kinds of stands, the one I was thinking of, because I've been listening, I love how I built this and other podcasts. If you haven't listened to it before, Mm -hmm. if you, whether or not you're an entrepreneur, it's a great uh, series of episodes to listen to. And I was listening to the Noom founders, uh, Seju Jong. And one of the things they talked about was when they were down to like $2,000 in the bank, they had no more financing. Like everybody else is like, don't come to us for money. Like we're not, like we're not, there were no more venture capital, all of this, but they knew where the, the direction that they wanted to go. And it was different than where they were at the time. And so they sat like the 50 people down that they had and were like, listen, this is our direction. This is where we're headed. This is where we need you to come along with us. But if you're not in this place and you're not willing and able to go along with us, then we understand. And mm-hmm. so like, it was crazy, but like several of the people like that they weren't really expecting walked out. But then the people that were there were so bought in that they were actually able to scale and continue to grow the business to which now, if any of you don't know, I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar company. Um, Noom is, it's like a diet platform that works mm-hmm. with um, cognitive behavioral therapy almost to kind of help you work through um, your uh, weight loss and health type of things. And they were able to scale and grow because they knew that the people were there were the ones that wanted to be there that were there for the reasons. And they loved the problem, not just the product. That was the thing. There were some certain people that were like, but this is what the product is. And this is what it should always be. Um, versus all of a sudden now the problem we're trying to solve, this isn't the product to solve the problem. We need to try something different. Um, so that one was a really interesting one. And it wasn't even during tough economic times. I think this was in like, the mid two thousands that they were just Mm -hmm. like, Oh, wow. We need to make a change. It was more by based on what they had in the bank than anything else. Um, but that was another great example of just, you know, pivoting and bringing people along. And sometimes if they don't feel it's right, letting them make the choice so that you don't have to. (laughs) Yeah. I agree. I agree. Cohatch is a new kind of shared work, social and family space built on community. Members get access to workspace amenities like rock walls and sports simulators and more to live a fully integrated life that balances work, family, well-being, community, and giving back. Cohatch has 31 locations open or under construction nationwide throughout Ohio, Indiana, Florida, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia, and Tennessee. Visit www cohatch.com for more information. All right. We talked about innovation and how it can help overcome economic challenges uh, and maintain competitive advantage. So I'm going to actually skip that question unless you had something else you wanted to add there, because I feel like we covered that quite a bit. Uh, I mean, I guess from an innovation lens, the only thing I would say is innovation does not have to equal new Innovation can be better efficiencies and productivity for your Mm -hmm. company as you're already doing it. So I feel like when people hear innovation, they're like, have to put money into something new. Like that's Uh, not necessarily it. We we also need to look at what we're currently doing. Can we innovate anything on our Mm -hmm. um, in in our current backend to make things more efficient? And and those are just as helpful. That's a great point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love process and innovating <laughs> on it. Cause it's like, why are we doing it this way? Is it the right mm-hmm. way to do it? Is it the fastest, cheapest way to do it? Maybe not. Right. I love that. It's a good point. Great call out. I'm glad I mentioned it then. Okay. Balancing short-term survival tactics with long-term growth strategies can be pretty tricky. Do you have any advice for businesses on how to find that balance and ensure sustainable growth? Yeah. So <sighs> 
whenever I think about this, I always think about like people who have a wedding and need mm. to squeeze into a dress, but they've been <laughs> like not working on that for years. Yeah. And it's like, I've got to get into a size, I'm a size 10 and I need to get in size two by next weekend. Right. Like, um, I think that it's hard because if you're trying to implement short-term impacts, but you haven't done the maintenance yeah. prior, you're going to have a lot harder time. So mm-hmm. like things like performance management and mm-hmm. making sure your product roadmap is super tight on like clear, you know, tier one, tier two, and tier three opportunities. Like you have to, you have to utilize and, and run a smart and efficient and lean business mm-hmm. in order to make short-term, short-term cuts that don't seem super drastic. Because if you are following the market and being again, responsive, not reactive, yeah. uh, you te- in, 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 as a business, you're running it so that it is a well-oiled machine that has the right parts and you don't have like a lot of extra junk sitting around and things like mm. that. Technically those short-term changes should not be that painful. I think that whenever the short-term changes get really, really hard is when you haven't done the maintenance, there's no mm-hmm. maintenance. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoop, recession, whoop, COVID. And wow, I just realized that I have 50% fat in my company. That is painful. And that, that looks bad in a market because you're doing these massive layoffs and things like yeah. that, but they're not necessarily reflective of the market. They're reflective of a poorly run business. Yeah. And so I think that that's, that's one of the harder time, like the harder things for me to swallow is like, I think that if companies focused more on maintenance and having mm-hmm. good hygiene as a business, yeah. that these short-term, you know, changes that we need to make Mm-hmm. Are, are not actually going to be as painful. Yeah. It looks a lot less knee jerk. And we talked earlier about psychological safety, how much more of that, that provides to the team and the people that you need to continue to work when things get challenging and difficult. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Maintenance is something I think that goes underrated. Cause like you said, the shiny object is often innovation. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we've got to make all these significant cuts you know, in, in costs or labor or vendors, and it looks unstable and it feels yeah. unstable um, right. versus, you know, kind of, kind of keeping those um, tabs on the right kinds of metrics and things that you need to be moving on and constantly looking at and improving, like you said earlier too, your process to yeah. make sure that when you need to become more agile, it's not, like you said, it's not like trying to get into that size two by the weekend. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that pace is also another lever that you can always pull. And I don't mm-hmm. think that people always realize that too. They think it's a start and stop. Yeah. Uh, like economic times, really bad p- hiring freeze. How many times have you heard of hiring freeze? Like happens all the time. Hiring uh-huh. freeze is not a smart choice. In my opinion, I think what mm-hmm. is a better choice is slow hiring and higher mission critical roles. Mm-hmm. Um, like th- that seems like a better strategy than again, you kind of signal panic when you do these like yeah. start stops and things like that. And it's, it's not good for anybody. It's not good for the markets. It's not good for the company morale. It's not good for psychological safety. It's not good for uh, your overworked teams that are understaffed. Like it's not good for yeah. any of that stuff. So just remember that pace is also another lever that you can always pull. Yeah. That's really interesting. I had somebody once tell me, and I'm curious how you feel about it. It was higher, slow, fire, fast. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was um, like, Oh, that makes me uncomfortable for the firing part of it, but I totally understand it. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, if only that was like in real practice, like yeah. a thing. I, yeah. But I, I do think that, I don't know, I, it's my Achilles heel. I'm a people first person. Yep. I give people- It like, is very hard. So much of the benefit of the doubt and- Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's really, really tough. But I think that right. when you can objectively look at it, put it, yes. you know, you don't want, I, I'm not a spreadsheet manager. I don't like say like you're below the red line kind of yeah. thing. But if you consistently can pull out underperformance, again, it's mm-hmm. about that, it's about that management of that. It's about that is a process within a process. That is the yeah. machine that makes this whole machine work. Um, mm-hmm. And you, it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's a hard, it's a hard one. It is. It is. I agree. But I would like fastest relative, right? For me, like yeah. I would never just make a sudden decision like that. Like it would be a very data informed and thoughtful and intentional, you know, where it's like, I'm looking at the numbers and they're showing me those scary, ugly truths that like, you know, numbers or data points, like you yeah. said, if there's underperformance issues and things like that, that it's like, I can't let this drag on for so long because I am, I, I think that's why I was getting that advice is because I, I I'm the same, Sam, like I'm so people centric. <laughs> I will give every person every chance and all the benefit of the doubt. I want to coach them. I want to help them grow mm-hmm. and succeed. Um, it's I don't get off on making people feel like shit and firing them. I never have, so never true. will. Um, so fast for me is maybe a, is, is like medium for others, yeah. but yeah. I don't want to be rash either because I definitely believe in not burning bridges, being intentional about the choices that I'm making and how they're being communicated. Because you're talking about a team change. And that's yeah. going to impact your team as well. So I think there's like a happy, there's a, there's a happy medium that I get a little, that's my excuse for not being quite so fast, <laughs> but it's fast you, and I, <laughs> you and I are in the same boat. I'm, I'm a, I'm a higher, what was it? Higher, slow and higher, slow fire, fire, fire yeah. medium. Yeah, yeah fire exactly. Medium. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm in there. I'm in that boat with you. Awesome. Are there any particular industries or sectors that you believe are maybe a better position to thrive during these times? And Mm. what can other businesses learn from some of the success that they've seen? I mean, you kind of mentioned like the Ubers of the world and Airbnb and things like that. What are, is there any others you can think of sector wise? So I think that that was like one of those things too, where again, when the world was falling apart and, you know, we're still slowly crumbling, but we're figuring it out. Um, I, I think that everybody thought that everything crumbles, like everything is going to crumble. Everything's going to shit. Nothing's going to, you know, kind of survive. And we didn't see that. Uh, what we saw was that, um, especially things like education client, education specifically, that was mm-hmm. one that actually thrived really, really yeah. well. Um, I think that when we have these times of uncertainty, people are kind of looking to enhance their skills. They want to be more marketable. They understand that, you know, maybe their job skills are not going to be what people are looking for. And yeah. so we saw like, as far as like our education clients specifically, we saw so yeah. many different people of different life stages coming mm-hmm. into that funnel and yeah. education just exploded, which yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I think that intuitively, I think, well, people don't want to spend more money. Mm-hmm. So why would they go back to school? But I think that I don't know, psychologically, they were like, I need to be more marketable and I need to go back to school. So it was an investment um, for sure Uh in in, in that. And so that was surprising, but also I felt is also going to continue. Um, We're we're seeing again, just like a different subset of people that are going into education. Yeah. Um, Other sectors that I think that actually grew and I, I'm, I don't know, I have mixed feelings on this, but pharma, yeah. I think that people had a chance to self-reflect and mm-hmm. do have a chance to self-reflect whenever things are so incredibly crazy out there. It's like, 
what can I control? I can control my health and I yeah. can control my health through like additional healthcare and or prescription medication. Yeah. And so we saw both of those two sectors absolutely skyrocket as well. So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, as a part of it from a strategy of like learning what success is, it's like about smart anticipation. It's about really trying to anticipate what consumer behavior will be like yeah. and how do you fit into that behavior? you know, Mm -hmm. um, or at least try to market yourself to fit into what you think that behavior will be. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a psychological thing, I think more than Mm -hmm. anything. And, um, that's a really tough, you know, that's a tough thing to understand, anticipate for, and also to really, um, I don't know, put effort around, um, because Mm -hmm. you have to make a bet and it could be wrong. And, but again, that's where the agility comes in to, to shift if needed. Absolutely. Those are both great industries and you're hundred percent spot on with both of them. I mean, I can speak from the education standpoint, specifically running a community that of women who are chronic and constant learners, I was blown away that while it seemed like the whole world was burning down, we were having our existing members and new members coming in all the time that were looking to gain and grow their knowledge, their skills, their networking. And I'm like, wow, the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. And you're like, how can I improve myself professionally? How can I improve myself personally? This is why I love just women's nature in that respect was just like, that's, they're like, here's what I can control. I can control what I know, what I understand. If the market goes crazy, if I lose my job, I'm just going to do what I can to get certifications, newer knowledge, better networking. And so while I was sitting on the other side of things thinking, holy hell, we're not going to have any in-person events for God knows how long. Mm -hmm. And this is what we were built on. Instead, our community online grew and flourished and we provided workshops and certifications and all these different things that were meeting the women where they were and with what they needed and with a space that provided psychological safety um, through our peer groups and through our Slack channels where we just do a lot of vulnerable conversations. So if they weren't getting that at work, we were helping to fulfill that need and culture. So I definitely saw sort of that like psychological shift um, in women. Now we're back to trying to run everything in the world and aren't making as much time for ourselves as we should be. So Mm -hmm. y'all, that's your homework for the weekend. Please (laughs) make some time for yourself. Um, Connection is also self-care, but also having time to yourself to think through things and plan is also a great way to go. We did have one question from our live listening audience from Miranda. She says, hello, you've talked about some creative ideas to address problems in your business that were highlighted because of the market. As a leader, can you share tangible examples of how you've had to foster that creativity? Personally, I'm curious how to foster that creativity within a company I work for. Thank you, Miranda. Great question. Yeah, thank you, Miranda. And thanks for joining in live. We really appreciate it. Um, You know, I think that um, I will do anything to kind of bring creativity to the forefront because I'm a super creative person and I don't actually get to be creative that much in my job. So um, one one thing that I have done that um, has kind of helped bridge the gap between like personal and professional life is I'll host vision board sessions for our team. And it's like, what do you want to accomplish both professionally and personally? And it kind of helps them to like mesh their whole brain together of like, Mm. this is how I, I can adapt myself and reach my goals as a holistic person, not just like at work or at home, because Mm. everyone is a, is a whole person. Um, you might laugh, but I also, I I do think that having self, um, just health in general is Mm. another way that people can stop from the tacticalness of the job 
and get into their own creative brains. And so I just hosted uh, a sound bath in our office. I <laughs> But, you know, I, I do think that it's just getting people to get out of that grind of that hog mm-hmm. every single day and the same stuff and just have a chance to use their brains in different ways. Mm-hmm. And if you put in that effort for your team and give them the time to separate from work, it does give, it pays dividends back in the workplace. Um, You know, I've also done things where I've kind of added in creativity within um, different sessions. So Mm -hmm. I hired an artist to do a, uh, it was like a whole strategy session. We were doing our strategy for the following year. And I hired an artist that sat on the side and listened to everything that we did and created beautiful bubbles and like Uh art. And it showcased our entire plan, but in a, um, in a visual sense, because some Mm -hmm. people are not, you know, auditory learners, some people are visual learners and some people really like that, you know, that they had something to reference that they could look at that was visually appealing. So I I do think that there's things that you can integrate within the workplace that just get people out of the grind, get people out of the wheel that they're on every day Mm -hmm. and that help to foster that creativity. I love that. Yeah. Breaking kind of those a typical, it's it's easy for our brains to shortcut to cycles, right? We want efficiencies. Mm-hmm. We want to not have to think about things, but giving people space, like deliberate space and opportunity. I do miss that. I always loved um, blue skying and not just blue skying, just to say like, if it's more like, okay, we did one recently in a cohort I was part of. And it's like, okay, if you had $10,000, what would you do for your business? Where would you mm-hmm. spend that money? And then it was like, if you had $50,000, then it was like, if you have $5,000, $50,000, it was like $5 million. And it was so funny to where like your brain starts to go when you remove barriers and limits. Mm-hmm. So that could be another fun exercise is like, think about what are the barriers and limits? Like the client saying no, what if the client said yes to whatever you proposed? What would you actually propose? Another fun one I've had is like, what is the worst idea you could think of? What is the worst thing that you could mm. think would never work? And then we often talk about how would we actually take that and make it work? And it was some of our most innovative work that we had done because it was basically like, we're just, again, mentally removing those barriers that, you know, are keeping us, that are holding us back from having truly innovative, inspired and new ideas. And I also think the fact that a lot of people, especially in the industry, I feel like in advertising and marketing in particular, I was a former creative director. So, you know, there's all this stigma about creatives and ego, which I really didn't have a whole lot of tolerance for any of that. Um, mm-hmm. everyone is creative. I'm a, I'm a married to a, an applied mathematician and he is brilliant and creative. He doesn't acknowledge it. It wasn't something he was told as a kid. He's told you're smart, you're intelligent. I was encouraged and poured into as somebody who was creative. So, you know, we're the yin and the yang, but you know, I have learned that, yeah, I'm, I mean, smart, I'm intelligent. And he is, <laughs> and he's learned he is creative. So I think helping to foster creativity, even from those who don't have creative titles is really important because you never know where some of your best ideas are going to come from. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. Well, we are right at the hour, Sam. That went super fast. Thank you for the question, Miranda. And thank you all of you for listening in live. This was a great conversation. I hope you all found some new information and inspiration that you feel empowered to get out there and keep on trying. If you fail, fail fast, get back up, keep trying again. Amazing. And thank you, Amy, for hosting this amazing series. It's been so good to be a part of of the organization um, as well as this podcast. So thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you again. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. Take care. Thank you. You too. Bye.